Keith. I'm going to have you leave that one there, brother. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Well, I love it when we have our children help lead in worship. I think it's not only good to see what God is doing in the life of our ministry at Kitty Prep, but it's good for us to see that God has called us to be a multi-generation church. And I'm so thankful that we can live out when, the, when Psalms tells us from one generation crying out to another, we can literally see it happen before our eyes. Well, we've been in a series, this is our second week in our new series entitled, Entrusted. What will he find you doing? It's rooted in this passage of scripture we read last week in, in Matthew 25, uh, 14 through 30. It's this passage that gives us this picture. Jesus says, it's, it's like this. And then he tells this story of, of a master who gives his servants, his workers, different sums of money. He gives one five bags of silver or five talents, as one translation says, and another two and another one. And, and then he goes away. And then what they do with the resources that God gave to them or the master gave to them, they are held accountable for it. You remember from that scripture, the master comes back and, and the one who had five bags of silver, he had taken it, he had invested it, and he had earned five more. And he gave the report to the master and he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with this and so I will give you much more responsibility. The next one had two and, and the master didn't seem to, to give the same amount to every one of the workers. But they were responsible for what they were given. And, and so the second one took these two bags of silver, these two talents, and invested them and also got a return and said, I have two more. And he said, well done. You've been faithful with the little that I've given you. I'll give you much more responsibility. The third one, not wanting to mess up, not wanting to make a mistake, not sure what to do, took it and buried his one bag of silver or one talent. And comes the time when the master comes back and he says, Now, now I know you are a strict man. You, you, you expect much. And, and so I, I didn't want to lose it. And so I buried it. And here's your money back. And he says, If you know that I'm a strict Owner, if you know that I care about my investments, why didn't you at least put it in the bank so I could have some interest? Why did you bury it and do nothing with what I gave to you? And then there's the chastising that comes for this one. And that's the backdrop in which we find this series that we recognize that God has entrusted so much to us. Jesus said, it's like this, and told that story. And we're beginning to see that God is calling us to be responsible and accountable for what he's entrusted to us. I like the, the story of a little boy who fell out of bed. And when his mom asked him what happened the next morning, he says, I don't know, I guess I stayed too close to where I got into bed. You know, that can happen in our faith. Sometimes we can just step into faith or step into relationship with Jesus. And we don't go much farther than that. We just stay right there. No wonder it's so easy to fall back. No wonder it's so easy to, to slip backwards. So I ask you, where were you spiritually 12 or 24 months ago? Just think back to a year ago or two years ago. Are you praying more now than you did then? Are you giving more now than you did then? Do you find an increase in joy in the amount of both prayer or giving? 
Are you studying God's Word more now than you did then? Are you valuing the relationships in your life more now than you did then? I believe that God not only wants to give us some solid teaching in this series, but He wants to grow us in this idea of what has been entrusted to us. It's not just to impart some information, but He wants us to actually grow. You know, if you go to the doctor and you take your young child and they stay the same height forever, something is wrong. Healthy things will grow, and and so God wants you and I to have a growth spurt in Him. And so where are we growing, especially in this area of what has been entrusted to us? Last week, we looked at this idea of of the attitude of an owner says, well, it's mine. And while I'm responsible for it, because it's mine, I'm not accountable to you for it. My orange truck... I'll do with it whatever I want to. I'm responsible for it, but don't you tell me what to do with it. It's my truck. I'm not accountable to you for it. We also see the attitude of a customer. It's not mine. I'm not responsible for it, and I'm sure not going to be held accountable for it. And then that third attitude, the one that God is calling us to, it's the attitude of a steward or one who has been entrusted with much. It's not mine, no, but I am responsible for what's been entrusted to me, and I am going to be held accountable for what's been entrusted to me. So by way of review, just look there at your notes or look to the screen. We saw this acrostic that we're going to use not only last week and today, but the next few weeks together on this Word trust, it's a commonly used acrostic for trust, and we looked last week at taking an inventory. Today we're going to look at recognizing God as our source, and next week, understanding God's principles in this area of what He's entrusted to us, and surrendering everything to God, and then testing God's promises in this area. Last week, as we saw this inventory, we, we began to see that this is more than just a teaching or a talk about money or about resources. It involves so much. Stewardship involves your heart. God has given you a soul, the center of your being. It involves your body. Your very body is a gift from God. It involves your time. It involves your abilities, your talents, your spiritual gifts. It does involve your money. But it also involves the relationships around you. And it involves the great gift of the good news that's been given to you. According to... A newspaper article in January in late uh, 1989 in the Lexington Herald tells a story of a family who was living in a home in West Palm Beach, Florida. It's told in this account that a film crew came to this house, the people there, and, and began to seek permission to film the popular action TV series that they were working on in the front lawn of this home. They knew that cars would be crashing violently in front of this home in this action TV series, and they agreed to let them do it. While the front yard was being blown up, the owner of the home was tipped off, and they got a call, the producers, from a person in New York demanding to know what is happening to their house. It seems that the people who were living in the house were only tenants, and they had no authority whatsoever to give permission to this TV show to do these action blow-up car scenes on the front of the house. But they gave the right away, and the cameras rolled, and the destruction took place. Many times we can live our life thinking that we own 
everything, giving permission for all kinds of things to take place, and yet God is the true owner. We are just tenants in this body. We are just tenants in this world, and we have been entrusted with things we are responsible for and we will be held accountable for. So this morning I want to invest the balance of our time in this idea from the letter R of the the trust acronym, realizing that God is our source. Everything belongs to God. He owns it all. Now, I recognize, I wrestled with this a lot this week. That sounds like a churchy thing to say. He owns it all. Doesn't that sound good, Larry? But when, when you, you think about it, and if you're going to try to live by it, really? Come on, Brady. Owns it all? Well, like, maybe like outer space or something, or like, you know, mountain ranges, but he owns it all? Everything? And so, as we look at this together, I want us to see what God's Word has to say about this. And I'm only going to be able to scratch the surface, but there's so many all throughout the Old and New Testament that give evidence that this statement is not only true, it is a law that you cannot break. It will break you, but you cannot break this law. It's like the law of gravity. It's not possible for you to break it. He owns it all. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Psalm 50 verse 10. For every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. It's as if the psalmist is saying, even the hills, everything that's on the hills, it's all God's. Haggai 2.8. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. In Ezekiel 18.4, you don't have this in your outline. This is extra. For every living soul belongs to me, God says. The Father as well as the Son, both alike belong to me. Every person, every soul belongs to me. James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming from the Father. Every good thing comes from God. 1 Corinthians 4.7. What do you have that you did not receive? What is it that you own that you didn't actually receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? See, every individual belongs to God. Everything that we have belongs to God. Everything that we claim that we actually own, we're going to discover together that it really belongs to the Lord. The hope in this is so if you ever lose anything, you need to realize it was never yours anyway, that it was just God's. And so we need to hold things lightly and we need to be responsible and accountable to what he entrusts to us and allow him to put the right priorities in our minds. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into this world. And it's a certainty that we can carry nothing out of it. I remember as a kid hearing the old preacher's story that you never ever see at a funeral when the hearse is going to the cemetery, you never ever see it pulling a U-Haul. When I'd hear that and hear my dad say, I'd think, oh, that's so corny. It's stuck in my mind. No matter how many toys you accumulate, 
No matter how big your resume becomes, no matter how big your family becomes, no matter what you have acquired, no matter what you have received, no matter what you feel like you have earned and worked for, you will not be able to take any of it, of the earthly things, into the next kingdom. There is something we can build that will last. Two weeks, we'll look at that together. But with this understanding, okay, Brady, so Scripture says that it all belongs to God. That's fine. But, but how can this seem so hard? When Scripture is so simple, it is plain, it clearly tells us what the truth is. But when we live this out, it seems difficult. And so let's look at Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 18 together. It's in your outline there. I believe the Lord is giving us some easy handles, some tools to navigate through actually how to live today with this understanding that he is the owner of all. And what do we do when we start getting forgetful of that? Look with me at Deuteronomy 8, verse 10 through 18. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise... When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who has brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Deuteronomy 8.15 He led you through the vast, dreadful desert. That thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert. Something your fathers had never known. To humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength have produced this wealth for me. But remember, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. What is God saying here? Well, we've got to remember that he can't say something to us through this text that he didn't first say to them. And so some background is we find that Moses here is talking to the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, and they have gotten very forgetful. They were wandering. The Lord has brought them out of slavery, and he was taking care of every single need that they had. He was providing food. He was providing protection and blessing over them in battle. He was ultimately leading them to the promised land. In the midst of all of this, they would gripe, they would complain, they would grumble, and Scripture says they would murmur. We did a study on that a few years ago. That would be fun to do again. They would just, just murmur. Just grunting, disgruntled noises would be coming from their mouth. Ugh. And here God is the one who had given them everything and they begin to focus in on themselves. In Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 18, we see this warning not only ringing loud and clear for them, but I believe it's just as clear for us today. A warning to us. Be careful how you view the things that you have. Now this is in 
relationship to all the things we looked at from review last week. It's with your heart. It's with your body. It's with your time. It's with your resources, your money. It's with your relationships. It's with the good news. It's with all these things. But he's dealing with them specifically on how they view what it is they think they own. The first thought we find there in verse 10, I want to highlight for us and make sure we don't miss it. It's a It's a great piece of advice in verse 10. When you are satisfied, thank God and praise Him. We see this start right here. God is giving some clear instructions to them and to us. When you are satisfied, thank God and praise Him. You see, that should be our first reaction when things are going well. Now, we're used to thanking God at a mealtime for our food. But when's the last time that you opened up your paycheck or you saw the direct deposit email of your paycheck going into your account that you thanked God for that paycheck that he provided? When was the last time that you came to the end of your day and you laid your head on your pillow and you thanked God for that chunk of time that he gave to you? God, thank you. For the hours in this day, you have gave, given them to me. When was the last time as you're getting dressed for the day, thinking about what's ahead, that you are thanking God for the people in your life, family, friends, co-workers, people that you will meet that you think are strangers, that God is giving divine appointments. When's the last time that you thanked God for all that he was bringing to you in relationships that day? How about when you sit down for lunch? When was the last time, in addition for thanking him for the food, that you thanked God for your body? Remember one of my professors in school, the assignment was to have a conversation with one of your body parts and thanking God for them. It sounded dumb and crazy. I chose my thumb. I thought, this is going to be silly. This professor has lost his mind, and so I'm going to write the most absurd thing, and he will never, ever assign this to anybody else. And so I began this paper with a conversation with my thumb. It started with a little bit of a rhyming thing. I can't remember it now, but I thought that would be hilarious. But as I continued to write about my thumb, I was amazed at how many things my thumb allowed me to do. And then at the end of the paper, as I was told, I began to thank God for my thumb, and and I began to see that the silly person in this equation was not the professor, it was not God, it was not my thumb, it was me that I would think that there is no way that I could worship God by taking time to think about my thumb. When you stop and think about the complexities of your body, well, Pastor Brady, mine isn't working so well. Well, I'm not trying to make light of that or sweep it under the rug. When your leg hurts, thank God for your ear. When your ear is not working, thank God for your brain. When your brain's not doing what it should, thank God for your feet. There's always something in your body that you can thank God for or the very breath in your lungs. Every one of you has some breath in your lungs here today. If not, um, you can't hear me anymore. And the person next to you needs to, to call for the nurse. God has given us every single thing we have, and we need to thank him when things are going well, everything you have is a gift. It's a blessing from God. And next we see here in verse 11 through 14, don't become complacent and prideful and forget that God is the source of your blessing. Don't forget that God is the source of your blessing. Listen to verse 11 through 14 again. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am writing to you this day. Otherwise, 
when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large, your silver and gold increase, you have, and it's all multiplied, then your heart will become proud. You will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, we begin to, to catch here, these are signals for when we get into trouble. Many people find that it's easier to praise God in their suffering than in their success. I'm glad you said that, Brady, but I don't know if I believe that. Easier to praise God in my suffering than my success. I vote for success every time. I'd rather praise God through success. But here's the problem. Success begins to give us a, lulls us into a false sense of security. It begins to blind us. We begin to think that, you know, I, I, I kind of am just an amazing species of a human being. You know, the company really is, they're so lucky to have me. I'm here just to bless them with my awesomeness. You see, when things begin to go so well, there's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with the blessings of God. But for many, it becomes difficult to thank and praise God because they get so focused, lulled into this sense of pride that it is about them. Success often blinds us to God's provisions. That's why sometimes, for some people, the more they get, the less grateful they are. The more they get, the more they feel like they are owed to them. Friend, I shared with you before, and I want to share it again. If you have any amount of change, I don't even mean a dollar bill, any amount of change in your pocket or in your possession, if you had a meal yesterday, if you've had a meal today or will have one today, and you have reason to think you're going to have a meal tomorrow, you are in the top percentage of wealthiest people on the globe today. Our standard of wealth is amazing to me. I've met very few people who say, glad to meet you, I am wealthy. Because we're never really wealthy. The person who has more than us, that's the one who's rich. And a materialistic understanding. But then when you come to grips with someone who has way less than what you think would be wealthy material-wise, but yet they act as if they're so wealthy, they begin to understand a principle that God is talking about here Don't become complacent and prideful and forget that God is the source of your blessing. See, as we convince ourselves that our blessings are the result of our own hard work, we begin to lose sight of God. Verse 14 issues this solemn warning. If we keep our eyes on our own accomplishments, then our hearts become proud. The indictment of pride is a serious offense. Scripture says a number of places that God hates pride. He does not want that to be in us. But third, we see that whatever you think you have accomplished, think again, God did it. This is what happened with the children of Israel. They were thinking of all the blessings they had and they were beginning to see how they really accomplished it. But Moses had to remind them, this is not of your own efforts. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert the thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. See, this passage drives home the point that God is the one who has done the work for you. Speaking to the Israelites, Moses recounts all of God's blessings, all of his provisions, all throughout the journey in the desert. And the overriding 
theme is clear through this passage. God did each of these things. So friend, I challenge you today, I challenge myself, in the face of this idea that God owns it all, the thought that says, well, I worked for that, I practiced to be able to do that, I I have had this, we need to rethink it, God is the one who has done it. Well, let's explore that for a second. Brady, I hear what you're saying, and, and it sounds good, but I went to the job interview. Who gave the ability to talk? Who gave you that mind to study and understand business? So much of business, successful businessmen tell me, is these key relationships that take place. Oh, you can be well-educated, you can have all your ducks in a row, but it's these situational relationships that somehow open up the big deal that breaks it in. Who gave you those relationships in your life? Who gave you the ability to press on and work hard? We're not saying this means we should be lazy before God, but we're recognizing even in my hard work, even in my talent, my ability, even in these things, God is the one who has blessed me with all of it. And when I forget that, I begin to turn inward and I miss the great blessing. So what do we do with this? Verse 17 and 18 give us some help. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Verse 17 says that what many of us think often, it's my own work. But verse 18 challenges us to remember that God is the one who has done it. Now, here's where I think some help comes, some traction. I think it's D in your outline. The key to not forgetting is to remember. Well, isn't that deep? Thanks a lot, Brady. I can go home now with a lot of wisdom. The key to not forgetting is to remember. Tell your friends what you heard at church today. I'll think, what in the world is going on there? <laughs> well, let's look at that. I believe what God is telling us today We are called to remember the Lord. It's interesting that this passage opens up by warning us not to forget. Forgetting is a passive act. You see, we are called to actively remember. This shows that forgetting something or someone, it's easy. If you you want to forget something, just let your mind relax and be distracted by any of the things that come in front of you. you. You can get forgetful. It doesn't take work to be forgetful of things, but it is an active, intentional thing to remember. So to passively forget, that's your blank there, to passively forget only takes a relaxing of your mind and embracing any old distraction that comes its way. But to actively remember, it's an intentional disciplining of my mind to focus on the source, to focus on God. I can forget something easily, but when I remember what God has done, I am focusing my mind on what he has given to me. So the challenge for us here, if I'm having a hard time coming to grips that he owns everything, I need to discipline my mind, focus on all the things that he has blessed me with. You've been privileged to be born in this country with the opportunities given to you. You've been privileged to be born in the family where you're at. You've not met my family. And let's begin to look at the blessings that God has given to us. 
It's in our need that we can be thankful it's easier. It's in our success that it's often tough. Final thought is this. God owns all that you have because he has given you all that you have. And then you see all the things we already talked about. But I guess the key thought I want to leave you with is this. Satan wants today to plant a thought in your mind. See, that grace point wants something from you again. God just wants to take things from you. That's who he is. He's a takey, takey kind of God. You know, Satan is not original. All he can do is take the truth and twist it. He can just take what is right and pervert it. All sin is God's gift perverted. It's another message. But today, he wants to take the very truth that's been taught, that's been preached, and to twist it and say, see, God wants to take everything you have. No, no, no. He wants you to miss, Satan wants you to miss the gift that God has given you. God has given you so much because he loves you so much. He has blessed you with your body. He has blessed you with your heart. He's blessed you with time. He's blessed you with your gifts, your, your talents, your, your abilities. He has blessed you with relationships. He has blessed you with money. He has blessed you with the good news of the gospel. He's given you so much. And when you focus on all that he's given you, it is a natural response to say, God, I want to give back. God, you have given me so much. When you tell me how to live the best life possible, maybe I should trust you. Well, as Pastor Edgar comes and, and our time comes to an end this morning, I think this is one of the messages that an appropriate response is to walk out of here disciplining our mind to think again on what God has told us. There's plenty of times where a great response is to come to the altar and pray, and you're welcome to do that anytime. Here at Grace Point, the altars are always open. It's a great place to pray, not the only place. And sometimes we receive a call to come forward and, and to, to meet God here. But I think there's times when God is saying to us, I've given you the truth, now go and walk in it. What is that truth to go and walk in? Simple as this. Who you are, what you have, is not your own. You were bought with a price. And all this discussion that we had last week and that we're going to have the next few weeks about what you've been entrusted with and how you are responsible for it and how you're going to be held accountable to it, if you don't understand who the owner of it is, none of it will make sense. We touched on that attitude of owner versus customer versus the steward or the one who's entrusted. But I think even to boil it down, Simpler than that. What would it look like for you today to walk out of here contemplating in every area of your life, everything I have, this included, and this, and this, has been given to me by God. And if I believe that, I have much to praise Him and thank Him for, and much to listen to Him in. Because he's calling you and I to use it in a particular way. Would you stand with me, church? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a patient and gracious God. I thank you that while you have given so much to us, 
Even when we're undeserving. Your word says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While our attitude was stinking and rotten, you still poured out blessing on us. Would you grow us now, Lord? Would you help us to grow up in you spiritually as we have taken inventory and now we are realizing that you are our source for everything? Would you help us focus on that today and to actively remember who you are in our life? It's in your name, Jesus, that we have gathered. It's in your name that we've looked at your word. It's in your name that we pray these things. And to that I say, let it be so. Amen and amen.